second. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. We need as much money as we can. This is the Press Box. The age difference on this show. With Grady and Bischoff. I'm glad you're the one that went in on the details of how Viagra works. No, come on, I'm feral. Just got the headphones on. Lindsay's looking at me like I'm a lunatic. We're super ready to be here today. We're super ready to do this. Uh, What do you mean you just got the headphones on? What are you doing? I know. Well, it's it's been a kind of a hectic morning. Yeah, you guys are welcome for that. That's been a hectic morning. How you feeling, buddy? Um, as Aaron Rodgers would say, I, uh, was evacuating out of both ends this morning. Oh, oh man. lovely. <laughs> you know, you know. Ben just, there, though. He doesn't hide with his medical issues, I'll tell you that. This no, kid does not true. hide his medical issues. It's a little bit issues. different than passing out, though. Yeah, exactly. It is. So, yeah, I'm from home this morning. Um, no idea what the problem was. I didn't eat anything, like, new yesterday, so... No bad nachos. No, not that I know of. I had stuff that I eat on a normal basis, and for something this morning, it was not not happy. Maybe it's a lunar eclipse. The energy was just pressing down. Maybe, you know, sometimes your body is just like, maybe I'm not in survival mode anymore. Let's just relax for a hot second. Jeez. So, yeah, fun morning for me. So I'm from home and caused a bunch of panic for you guys. Nah, we're, you know, we... We are ready. We're ready. We had we had uh, Lindsay's tangents ready to go. Yeah, we're still ready. Yeah, oh, just are, we gonna, are we finally going to learn about the Vancouver Canucks power play? I don't know. Maybe that needs some massaging and some work because we got to talk about some positivity because the Golden Knights are on fire. They never lose. Never. I don't know why. I don't know why we talk about them. They're never going to lose again. No. Ready? Oh yeah, a little. The first bite. Why did the Raiders release Jonathan Abram now? This is a great man. I'm tell you what. I don't know about you, but. I'm. I think overall, I wasn't surprised he was released, but I I agree with you. I just think it was now was weird. Although we know there were no takers at the deadline, um, people have reported they've been trying to trade him for a lot longer. His snaps decreased in the last two games. What are your thoughts here? What why on this week that they decided this was the time? So this is one of the fascinating parts about what this front office and I don't know, maybe we can throw the coaching staff and Josh McDaniels in there. don't know exactly how much input he has as to who he wants on the roster. But this is one of the fascinating parts about the offseason roster decisions that the Raiders made. We talked so much about the offensive line, how we thought the entire time, oh, they'll add somebody, they'll sign somebody, they'll trade for somebody. And they never did. The other part of this was Jonathan Abram because... Everyone knew Jonathan Abram wasn't very good. Like, it, it wherever you went right, for your right. football information, right? Jonathan Abram was not good. He was not a starting caliber safety in the NFL. And for whatever reason, Raiders get a new front office, and they went the entire offseason without getting a replacement for, for Jonathan, Jonathan Abram. Abram. Yeah. And... Okay, I, I mean, I guess you can't have a perfect roster. You're going to have some weak spots somewhere. But that was strange to me that the entire offseason, they never addressed that position. And then we get into the season, and guess what? Jonathan Abrams still isn't that good. Jonathan Abrams still isn't a starting caliber safety in the NFL. And the Raiders, I, I think, slowly realized it. If you go through his snap counts, the first four weeks, he played at least 96% of the snaps in each of those four games. So he's basically on the field for every single play. 
their fifth and sixth games of the year, his snap counts decreased about 75%. And then the last two, it was 34% and 46%. Yeah. So he went from playing, being on the field for every defensive snap to less than half in the last two weeks. So it's like they slowly realized, oh, we probably shouldn't be playing this guy every single snap. But again, the part that's fascinating to me is everybody knew this about Jonathan Im. This isn't a sudden, oh, he was a pro bowl safety and all of a sudden he can't play anymore this is who jonathan abram has been his entire time and for me it's like it's it's not surprising that you'd release a player like abram who's not producing it's surprising to me that it took them until halfway into the nfl season to do anything about that position yeah and i'll tell you what the one thing that i found fascinating was and i look uh dave ziggler said this in in florida we've talked about this before where um, the give back on some of these trade offers wasn't enough for him. But if you felt this way about him as you decreased his snaps over the last two or three games, no one, like you have down here, no one offered a seventh rounder. And if you were offered a seventh rounder, why wouldn't that be enough if you knew? I, I don't think they woke up yesterday and said, let's cut him. Like, I don't I don't think they yeah. did that. I think there had been discussions, you know, for a while now on we don't think he can play. We're going to decrease, decrease his snaps. We're going to increase Deron Harmon's snaps. And that's what we're going to do. So this wasn't, I don't think, a snap decision, no pun intended. But you're saying that no one offered anything for him? I mean, what does that tell you what the other people in the league right. think of Jonathan Abram? Right. That, and that's sort of a problem for Abram. Because the other, the other part, one of the big things in NFL trades that sort of ruins value of guys is their contract, right? right guys will right. be on a big contract, and that'll ruin trade value. Uh, Jared Goff is an example. When the Rams traded him, they had to give up an extra first-round pick because he's on a massive contract, and teams didn't want to take on a below-average quarterback getting paid a ton of money, so they had to attach a first-round pick to that. But Jonathan Abram is in the last year of his rookie deal. Like, he's he's not making very much money, and he's you, if you traded for him – you're not adding multiple years of salary. You're adding half a season. So maybe nobody offered even just a seventh round pick for him. I guess I could buy that because he hasn't been that good. Uh, but I I don't know. If somebody did offer even just a seventh rounder, I have to imagine the Raiders would have taken it because they ended up releasing him anyway. So it's just, it, to me, it's a fascinating situation where for basically eight or nine months, we, we on the show sat here and we're like, okay, why is when are they signing somebody to start over Jonathan Abram? And they never did. And now we're sitting in November. The team's two and six. And they're like, oh, this guy's not any good. I wonder, I wonder yeah, why we couldn't they figure thought, that out earlier. Because Pat Graham uh, probably looked at film and probably said, I can, I can make him into a player. There's no other reason. I mean, and, yeah. and Josh McDaniels bought into that. Um, they thought they could fix the guy and they thought that they could, you know, uh, change whatever was wrong with him, whether he couldn't cover anybody or what they what his weaknesses were, and they miscalculated, and now they admit it by waving him. So here's a genuine question for you. If we look, and I know the season's not over, we're only like halfway through it, but if we look at sort of the entire front office moves and how they built this roster, what's the best move they made this offseason? Uh, Devontae Adams? Are we sure that was a good move? Well, it's better than Jonathan Abram and, and the <laughs> offensive line. Kind of looks better than the extensions too. Because I'm trying to think, of it's the it's the most productive move. But right. Whether or not it's panned out, that's really the question right. here. So we just talked about ignoring the safety position with Jonathan Abram. We've talked a ton about ignoring the offensive line position. Both of those have been 
as bad as expected. Maybe the offensive line's been a little bit better, but still isn't good. Um, they added Chandler Jones, and it was, oh, look at this great pass-rushing duo. Chandler Jones, Max Crosby. Chandler Jones has half a sack this season. I think as a team, they've got zero in the last two games total. Um, the best player on the team this year has been Josh Jacobs, and he wasn't given a fifth-year option. Uh, that was added... the best move, not giving him a contract, <laughs> giving him the motivation to run well, might downhill. Have been, yeah, the Maybe. best move might have Maybe. not given yeah. Jonathan Abram his fifth-year option. True. Like, Waller and Renfro got extensions. Neither one of them has been very productive. And Adams has had good games, but he's also had three games where he hasn't done much. Not that that's necessarily his fault, but it's just like it's hard to point to anything that they did this offseason and say, oh, that worked out. That made the team better. It, it's almost as though every decision they made was wrong, right. that, they, that they missed on everything, which is almost incredible to miss on that many things. So it's like... We've talked a lot about like McDaniel's job security and all that. We haven't really talked about Dave Ziegler in the front office and job security there. If this team finishes as a five-win team and Chandler Jones is bad and Devontae Adams is questioning coaches and has three or four more games where he's under 30 yards and the offensive line is bad, like, are we going to look at this? and like, If you're Mark Davis, do you look at this and say, what exactly did you guys do to help us? We had a playoff team last year. What did you do to help us? And if it's nothing... Is there a chance Dave Ziegler's gone in the offseason? I don't. I mean, you and I've talked about this. I just don't think there's a chance that either are gone at all. I, no matter how bad they they end up. Now he could still question that stuff, and maybe he's questioning that stuff with all these after game meetings uh, as he <laughs> he's watches. He's talking to the wrong back. guy. As, and, and you know, is Ziegler around? Where's Ziegler? Um, so I don't think either go. I think they're both fine and safe. Um, but I think he, as an owner, if he's paying attention, he'd have every right to say what you're talking about. He'd have every right to question some of these moves, and I'm sure they'll have an explanation. The explanation is now we're evaluating everyone. We're evaluating talent. Um, yeah. That that was the uh, that was the line. Taking a long now. hard look at ourselves yeah. in the mirror, that's soul the, searching. That's the two and six line. Yeah. The six and two line would be hey on to the playoffs. The two and six line is well now you know we've been evaluating everyone. We, we that was the original thought. No, that wasn't the original thought when you spend hundreds of millions on contracts and you were in a win now mode. That wasn't the original thought. But right, now, because, when you're two and six, that becomes the thought. Yeah, and like you look at, looked if you're looking towards next season for a team that's two and six, that's uh, pretty fair. Um, how do they get better next season? Right, obviously they're not locked into these contracts. We've talked about that a lot with Derek Carr. There's an out after this year. Devontae Adams. There's an out after this year. So a lot of these contracts they can actually get out of. But if you're trying to get better next year. You're probably looking at okay, how do we keep bring Carr and Adams and all these guys back, the high end players? I, I don't. I would put it this way: if I'm Mark Davis or if I'm a Raiders fan, everything that I've seen so far, I don't have very much confidence that the front office is going to make the team better in the offseason. I have not seen anything from the front office that suggests oh, they can evaluate a roster, find where the weaknesses are supplement those and make a good football team that's something we have not seen mm -hmm. from this front office and going into next year I, I don't know what confidence you would have that suddenly it's going to be better because again if they're a five-win team this is not a oh we just need to tweak a couple things and the roster is going to be fine if they're a five-win team they're going to need to do a lot to the roster in the offseason 
And I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. Well, and there's a big difference between evaluating proven talent versus evaluating young talent. And I really think the defense is where this team is getting let down right now just because they're they're maybe even if they get in a third and long situation, the linebackers, the safeties, it's just Swiss cheese out there. And so it's like, well, can these guys – find the talent, and we all know where Josh McDaniel's forte is. It's on the offensive side of the ball, because I think that's going to figure itself out eventually, but it's the defensive side that that worries me in that scouting. It's It's been the problem for the Raiders forever, that the defense is just not any good. Like It's incredible that through so many different coaches, through so many different defensive coordinators, so many different players, the defense is just always bad. It hasn't like, been when, good in like, forever. Yeah. Like, they haven't had a top 10 defense in... I don't know, 20 years? Right. Like, it's been when they went to the Super Bowl last, like, they haven't had a top 10 defense. Hell, they haven't even really had a top 20 defense very many times. Yeah, they're either. high watermark right now. So, Max Crosby is getting a lot of pressures. <laughs> like, we, we got to be better than that. We got to at least get one guy home. Max that's why, is good. It, that's why, even if Jones isn't getting the production that we thought he would, you would think that that would offset and maybe boost somebody else on the line, and it just hasn't right. happened. Hey, hey, Dave Ziegler said he's drawing a lot of double teams. Oh. Well, then who's who's open? <laughs> who's got the single team? They should be blowing right by. Nobody. He's not. I don't think he's actually even getting the double team. Dave Ziggler uh. just said that. All right. Coming up next, we'll get into some Golden Knights because they've won eight in a row. Smith comes ahead with Theodore. Gets it to him. Right side. He shoots. Blocks. Morgan Riley hustling back to defend. Knights are 2-0 in overtime this season. Toronto, 1-2. Now Smith is in. Backhander. He scores! Riley Smith got a little thread up the middle. A shimmy and a shake went to his backhand. Riley Smith scores his second of the contest, his seventh of the season. What a way to celebrate career game 700. The Knights defeat the Leafs 4-3 in overtime. You're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. You know what's got to be a struggle? My dog and daylight savings time. <laughs> oh, not 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 uh, adhering to it, not adapting. Well, normally, our dogs eat at eight in the morning, and uh, our fourteen-year-old Shih Tzu is not very happy at the moment because she thinks it is eight twenty in the morning, right? And right. is extremely hungry. Right. Uh, so yeah, she is. If you hear if you hear some uh, screeching barking, that is her trying to <sighs> tell us that I am hungry. Oh, she only knows one bark, and that is as high pitched as possible. Lovely. Well, all the squirrels will be coming to your yard real quick. Yeah. The Are bull- there squirrels the- in this city? That's a that's a great point to make, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of rats. <laughs> that's true. At least in uh, Summerlin. The Golden Knights won last night. Eight in a row. They are 12-2-0, which doesn't even look like a real record. No. Like That's ridiculously good. Um, Riley Smith scored the game-tying goal and game-winning goal. Uh, game-tying goal was a shorthanded goal in the third period, and then he won it in overtime. Riley Smith, by the way, seven goals and five assists this season already. Uh, we've talked a lot about Jack Eichel and how he's gotten off to a good start. Is O'Reilly Smith's goals and assists, is his point production, is it even more important than Eichel just because it's not unexpected is not the right word, but like he's not the star player on this team and he's still putting up great numbers? 
Yeah, I think it's a huge, huge ad. And and last year, he kind of had to be the band-aid for a lot of things because so many people were injured. He's one of the most defensively responsible forwards. And so he, he's certainly capable of putting it up. But as we've talked about, the misfit line has really been able to push this whole team over the edge with their effort, 200-foot effort, especially with William Carlson. But William Carlson's the one that's setting him up. And so it, it, he, it's fantastic to see just how um, diversified their offense is in terms of just all the different forwards that are getting it started and getting it done. And, I mean, you, you had Nick Waugh getting on the board 45 seconds into the game, too, uh, on the fourth line. It's just uh, it's hard not to be super positive about this team right now because even when they're down, even when they're not playing their best hockey, their guys are finding ways to win. And there's a belief, at least with me, that they'll figure it out before the 60 minutes are up. Am I way beyond it to suggest how in the world does Carlson and Smith get all these shorthanded? Oh, it's just it's it's very it's just, high it's hockey, very, high weird. Q. Yep, they always get that turnover high in the the defensive zone, right. and then some some people like overcomplicate like oh we got to get a couple passes through the neutral zone. It depends on where the defenseman is and and his gap, but they simplify it and then they wait for that perfect s- second to send it across. And there's just such. Uh, a, a psychological tether between those guys, but especially between Riley and and Carlson. And it's because not only are they skating together 5v5, but because of all of this PK time. There's so much just unsaid communication that you just rely on. And They're amazing. Lot, they're, they're amazing. And and we're still early in the season. It's easy to get, catch teams like a little bit in the tizzy, like like we saw with Toronto last night. And so it's it's a, we call it like the power kill, right? Where it's, where it's a legitimate threat and not everybody has that in their back pocket. Uh, can you guys believe Bruce Cassidy broke up Jonathan Marshall, William Carlson, and Riley Smith to start the year? What was he thinking? I think he was wanted to find his his vision for this team and, and test it that way first. Because like, there was a lot of, of negativity around William Carlson because he was all the way down yeah, in the third exactly. line. Because he's the anchor. He's the, exactly. He's the anchor of this line, but he is just playing so incredibly well and skating so well. And, and I know we've talked on the show several times with, with Wallace or, or with Ben about his confidence level and how impacted his game is when he's feeling it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it you're kind of like, Bruce, what were you thinking? But you got to test all the crayons and all the colors of the combination. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes returning back to that consistency is exactly what this team uh, needed because once needed. they switched that, put yeah. Chandler Stevenson on the wing instead of the center position because that's really what they were trying to do to make sure that he stayed true to that. And it's been it's been nothing but roses. All right. Here's a interesting question about if the Golden Knights need to actually change something despite winning every game. Um, Lindsay, get ready for your favorite numbers. But <laughs> Brett Howden, Michael Amadio, and Phil Kessel, that's, that's the third line at the moment. Mm-hmm. Last night, they had an expected goals rate of 6%. Not 60 or 46, 6%. When those three were on the ice last night, they generated one shot on goal the entire time. Um, For the season, they're at a 43% expected goals rate, which is like the worst of any line the Golden Knights have put together this season. And last night, they were the only three players to play less than 10 minutes at five on five. First line has been phenomenal since they put Eichel and Stone and Stevenson together. The misfits have been great. The fourth line somehow scores mm-hmm. to start games off on a regular basis. But the third line is is genuinely bad. And Bruce Cassidy doesn't really play them a whole lot. But they've won eight in a row. Like, do you do you try to fix that while you're winning? Or do you just look at it and say, well, the other three lines are working so well. 
we're just going to have to eat it and know that the third line's not going to play a lot of minutes and is not going to be productive when they do. Well, for me, it depends on like who's who's vibing because I would be hard pressed to take Michael Amadio out of the out of the lineup right now because he's played incredibly well and Kessel's obviously not coming out either. Howden's been Why a little not? bit. Why not? Bring him out. No, take he, him out. He's, he, he got the streak. No, you he's don't. No, it's not happening. He's not uh, doing anything. Take him out. Please stop. <laughs> like he's gonna be in this lineup. But but Howden's been a bit more streaky this season. But last night I noticed him more. And if I'm not noticing him on the forecheck, I know that he's not being as impactful as he as he should be, because he's usually not gonna be the guy that that puts in the goals. But I, I wouldn't mess with it though. I I would just I mean, let it ride. Yeah, not every line wins. is gonna be productive. Are they making up for what you thought the fourth line would be? Is the fourth line making up for the third line? I guess um, that's my point. Yes, because the fourth line somehow is scoring yeah. goals on right. a regular basis. Uh, yeah, and and the other part of this is that the first and second line have been incredible. Amazing. Yeah, and Amazing. it's it's not because because the issue is if you're gonna fix the third line, that means you've got to mess up one of the other three lines, and there's not really anything you would do to mess up. There's not there's no reason to do anything to those lines. I guess you could call somebody up from the HL or whatever. Uh, you could bench Phil Kessel. That might work. But, no. like, it, it's just <laughs> – it's, they should. It We're should listen. not, Tyler. Just because you don't produce on any given night doesn't mean that you're not playing good hockey. Listen, like, their what's record – their goals against expected for that line last night? Uh, I'll, the highest on the team, and they played okay, the Okay, well, in minutes. relativity compared to the other lines that we're talking about, but are, is it in an extremely negative stat-like area? Because that's the other thing, too. It's not, again, it's not about scoring. It's about not being a minus first and foremost. Not, they are a minus. That's the problem. They are a massive minus. Massive minus. That's the biggest issue. Like, but again, you're not fixing it by messing with any of the other lines. So it's, it's, what do you do? You take Phil Kessel out of the lineup. That would help. Um, Let's see. Last night, I'll tell you this. They gave up eight scoring chances. Uh, No, the top line gave up six and the top line played twice as many minutes as them. Yeah, they got outshot. But a lot of yeah. those shots are from the outside. Like, they are really trying to feed the Austin Matthews uh, one-timer from just above the circle. And I'm like, you want to take shots from 30 feet up? By all means, go right ahead. I, I got no well, problem with it. might be a it. bad bounce and he'd let one in. Well, you know, th- those are going to happen, though. Like, they're <laughs> not all goals against are created equal. They're not. Yeah. And so... That's yeah. a good point. Toronto should have stopped more from center ice. That's how yes. you beat Correct. Uh, Logan just a little flip. Sometimes those are tough. <laughs> I'm just curious to see because listen, they've won three. They're three and zero in overtime, right? Obviously, those are games that they could have lost in overtime, but they could have lost in regulation, right? Bradley Smith doesn't score a shorthanded goal last night. They might end up losing that game in regulation. I'm curious to see when they stop winning every single game they play. When they go on a stretch, even if it's just a you know they go three three, three and one or something, right. it's not even like a bad stretch. But I'm curious to see if Cassidy does start to try to find a different answer for that third line because when you're winning whatever if you're going to win every game who cares what the third line does but when they actually lose a game does he decide okay we need to do something because again he realizes it he's not even putting them on the ice like they're playing the fewest minutes they're playing like four minutes less than the fourth line Mm -hmm. at five on five which is kind of a ridiculous split between your third and fourth line so i'm just curious when losses actually happen is there a change there and I will genuinely sit here and tell you November 15th, December 1st, it needs to be Phil Kessel out of the lineup. No, no. <laughs> just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why, what does are you he going, do why are you going to the wall for him, though? I add a know. tally mark on his streak. Because of the, it, it's about the locker room presence. It's about the trust that, that those guys have in him being engaged in the game that he is. Like, I, I just... I, I know that you're a numbers guy, and and obviously I come with a little bit more experience when it comes to hockey. But 
Phil Kessel is just such a, a much bigger player than the points that he puts up on the or the shots on goal that he has. Like sometimes he's not going to be back on the back track. Sometimes that that third line is going to get taken to the cleaners. But overall, you're not asking them or him to carry the amount of water that these expectations have placed upon him just based off of who he is, his legacy, and all that other stuff. He doesn't need to be that. We don't need every line to be clicking each and every night. You just need enough guys to go because those guys that are going tonight, maybe it's a back-to-back. We need the other guys to step up tomorrow because we burned a lot of our gasoline the night before. It's it's just it's an orchestral performance of hockey-related art, guys. Like Just let it play. Let it go. If it's an orchestra, Phil Kessel keeps dropping his trombone on the ground. Oh, you know he's a tuba guy. Come on. (laughs) All right, coming up next, Ben Goetz joins the show. Jack Eichel's line has come on for Vince. Eichel, Stevenson, and Stone. And Eichel breaks up a pass, leads to a chance. Stevenson, he centers for Stone, tipped home. Jack Eichel finished it. Two to one, Golden Knights. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. Hello, How are Benjamin. you today? Morning, gentlemen. How are you guys? Good. So, all right, let me ask you this. Do you believe so far this season that Riley Smith's goals and point production is actually more important to this team than Jack Eichel and what he's done so far? I don't know if it's more important, but obviously it's certainly helpful, and I think it speaks to why this team is winning games, is that there is a little bit of debate like that. I think Eichel has been fantastic this year. I think he's deserving of, you know, like, all-star consideration at this point and everything, but it's not like he's going off and single-handedly dragging this team to the best record in the NHL. The Knights are doing this because they have a lot of guys doing really good things, like Riley Smith, like William Carlson, setting him up twice yesterday. Defensemen are contributing like Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, the Knights have a lot of depth this year, and that's in large part due to the fact that they've been healthy, so they haven't had to you know, dig deeper into their depth chart than they would have liked, which they obviously had to do a ton uh, last year, but I think it is the fact that they have a lot of guys leading the charge that's made them so successful so far, not kind of that one singular standout that's maybe driving their success on a completely different level than some of the other guys like maybe Edmonton has with a Connor McDavid or anything like that. Uh, we've talked about this before this week is one of the best things for them is they're finding different ways. Yes, absolutely. And I think especially with this group coming off of last year where it was the opposite, right? They seemed to, especially towards the end of the year, find their way out of games, made the mistake, you know, melted down at a critical moment, lost an opportunity to build this self-belief and this confidence early on in the season, I think is really important for this team. I think coming into the year, you know, even with all the question marks we've had about this team, which obviously so far they're answering pretty positively. One thing was like, what's going to happen to kind of this resurgent attitude in the locker room if they get off to like a six and six or seven, seven start, are they going to have that same kind of defined approach of we're going to prove everyone to everyone that we're better than we were last year. Now, obviously, we'll never get to know because they've gotten up to this tremendous lead early on in the Western Conference and Pacific Division. And I think it's pretty important that these guys now know that they can get through these games. They believe in each other to get through these games. And I think it's fueling the kind of camaraderie and team chemistry that we've seen early on in the season that just for a variety of reasons wasn't necessarily 
there throughout the course of last season, and especially at the end where that team was really scuffling for results, even though they needed them very, very badly. Can you believe this Bruce Cassidy guy broke up Jonathan Marshall, William Carlson, and Riley Smith? You know, a new coach has always got to put their stamp on things, come in with <laughs> ideas, but yeah. It is uh, really funny now to look back on and the fact that it took him, I think, about eight games before he finally scrapped those ideas and put them back together. And obviously it's worked spectacularly so far with, I guess, William Carlson and Riley Smith combining for two goals uh, yesterday. I mean, I get what he was going for. I think there are still going to be questions throughout the course of the year about especially how that third line that I put together, Brett Howden, Michael Amadio, Phil Kessel, are going to hold up, especially... You know, as they go on even tougher road trips when teams can really, you know, figure out matchups and exploit them potentially at five on five. But hey, it hasn't mattered so far. They've been able to survive those minutes. The fourth line is providing them with huge minutes to the point that Cassidy can give them a lot of the bottom six load and not rely on that third line as much. So he isn't, you know, having to pay any sort of price for kind of top loading his top two lines. And it also helps that both those lines are being productive with obviously Smith's big night yesterday and Eichel also getting on the score sheet with that brilliant passing play that set him up from Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone. So there's a debate before you came on between uh, our our uh, producer here, Lindsay, and our uh, host here, Tyler. I want to ask you this. Um, would you just stay with the third line as it is because they're playing so well and why would you mess with anything right now? And if they do start losing, would you ever healthy scratch Phil Kessel? So I would obviously stay with the third line right now just because, yeah, they're not paying for it, like I said. And I haven't gone back to the minutes last night, but it sure looked to me that like they are kind of becoming a third line in name only in terms of Cassidy leans on that fourth line of William Carrier, Nick Waugh, and Keegan Colasar so much. To usually start games, they actually got the second shift yesterday because it was Riley Smith's 700th game. But he's leaning on them for ice time even more than I think the third line. So they've kind of, you know, Lineup-wise, they are still the third line, but actual minutes-wise, I think they are being demoted in status a little bit. And so because of that, I think you're able to hide them enough where it's not a big issue right now. In terms of would I healthy scratch Phil Kessel, I'm certainly not there yet. I Do I think he's been exactly what the Knights would have hoped for? Has he proven that you know once he got out of that bad situation in Arizona that he can be this resurgent offensive player again? Uh, certainly not, but I'm Still not quite sure he would be my first choice out of those three guys. I think it would maybe still be Michael Amadio if you're looking to make a change. I have liked how Brett Howden has looked, especially on the wing and what his speed can do. Uh, but even on that second power play unit that Kessel is a part of, I thought they were moving the puck tremendously well last night, even though uh, they didn't score. I thought they had a lot of good looks and showed a lot of chemistry with each other. So there are still elements that Kessel brings to the game that I'm hesitant to take out right now if I'm Bruce Cassidy, especially with things going so well. But certainly I don't think anyone uh, with the Knights or beyond should be saying this has been some, you know, completely resurgent breakout year for Phil Kessel where he has, you know, erased all doubts that he's still the offensive force that he was. I think his production, especially at five on five, has probably not been what the team has been hoping for. By Christmas he'll be healthy scratched. Ooh, that's a spicy to get get him to a thousand and then shut it down. Yeah, I, I am curious if there's any actual pressure to just keep him in the lineup until he gets to 1,000. But I listen, if they're going to win eight in a row all the time, then you're not going to make any changes. But at some point, they're not, 
And the third line is going to be what we look at as the big problem on this team. And Phil Kessel's not exactly the answer to the problems right now. No, I would agree. Like I said, I don't think five on five, that line has especially been good. And I think their ice time recently has reflected that. Uh, for now, I would say I think he provides enough, you know, at least passing acumen on special teams that you kind of get away with it and see if you can figure out other things, maybe even tweak the lines. Obviously, if it gets to that point, um, to keep him around for at least a little bit more, give him a longer leash. But, you know, for Bruce Cassidy right now, I don't think these are even discussions you need to have because when things are going this well, you probably don't want to mess with it, especially when you've been on the road this entire time. All right, let, then does the fourth line keep this up? I mean, what have you what have you been most impressed with the fourth line, and can they keep this up? I mean, it's going to be hard for any kind of fourth line to keep up this kind of production in limited minutes, but they are a group that does seem to have chemistry. They know how to play together. They have an identity. And I think, you know, for a while, I think it was pretty obvious that this was a group that could work together. I mean, you think about last training camp when Pete DeBoer was still here, he starts those guys together. And then they barely play because the Knights have so many injuries that they're forced to juggle the lineups all the time. Carrier goes up, Wah goes up. But there are things to like about all three of those guys and how they play and how their styles complement each other in terms of playing a direct north-south game, not getting too fancy through the neutral zone, forechecking pucks. They're all really big guys who have good enough hands to make plays for each other. I think it's pretty obvious that they're going to be a pretty good forechecking line moving forward. They can be a group that can put pressure on opposing defensemen and especially on opposing bottom six players. Do I expect them to maintain this level of offense? Probably not. Do I expect them to probably continue to kind of get away with the minutes they're getting against other teams' top lines? Also probably not. There's been some moments even last night and in the first matchup against Toronto as well where they got out there against the Matthews line, against the Tavares line, and they got hemmed in. Nick Wah was on the ice for the Maple Leafs go-ahead goal in the second period he was out there for more than two minutes. So there are times where they get stuck out there, and it's not going to go well for the Knights. I think they've gotten away with a lot of those moments so far, even though they didn't last night. But in terms of a group that Cassidy can still lean on to kind of suck up minutes, especially on the forecheck, I think they've been just about everything the Knights could have asked for out of their fourth line so far. All right, Ben, before we let you go, uh, does Wisconsin have more lakes than Minnesota? Obviously not. No, no <laughs> way. <laughs> not even close. What are, you, what are you talking about? I think I think I read somewhere Wisconsin's got more lakes than Minnesota, so just wanted to hear from you if you had any thoughts on that, but apparently you and Lindsay well, can't count. Flander. Well, Ben, did you see how somebody brought their basically out underage alcohol citation as their proof of identity to the election yesterday? Did you see that on Twitter? I did not, but that checks out. Yeah, you know, sounds about that, right. That, that, that <laughs> yeah. He is Ben Goats from the Review Journal. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, ben. it. No problem. Thanks, guys. So, uh, yeah, I did read, though. Wisconsin has more lakes than Minnesota. No. So. I told you, I texted you last night. They don't know how to count that high. They get bored and they get drunk. That's it's just maybe they have the capability, but they don't have the patience. They don't have the discipline. He brought his, his what identification? He he got cited for underage alcohol consumption, and so he brought that as like his proof of uh, of residence. <laughs> it's it's Wisconsin. so Wisconsin. I I don't think I've ever seen something more Wisconsin than that.
I mean, I think I'd rather be bored and drunk than be bored and count lakes in Minnesota. Well, that's fine. Well, you want memories to last a lifetime or memories that are just uh, into that moment and then you forget <laughs> everything. That's the bit. They have to forget that they live in Wisconsin and not uh, the mecca of the Midwest that is the greater Minnesota and Twin Cities area. If I lived in either one of the states, I would want to forget I lived there. So they're the ones doing it right. No, no. It's one of the happiest places to live. We're healthy. A lot healthy, of volunteers. A lot of volunteers. We, we show up to vote. Yeah. We're always looking at yeah. lend a helping hand to our friendly neighbor, you know. Educated state. Absolutely. Very invested in journalism and, and local journalism at that. I believe the Star Tribune is the third most circulated paper yeah. right behind the New York Times and WAPO probably. So, you and- know. And the sports teams are And those golfers. Don't forget about those golfers. (laughs) All right. We got tickets to give away to go see Kevin Hart, the reality check tour. Two nights, or two nights show, Friday and Saturday. We got tickets for Friday night at Resorts World Theater. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. That's 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number eight. And you want a pair of tickets to go see Kevin Hart. Right side, Gilbert. Gilbert backs away. Now cross court to Harkless, guarded by Bird, drives past him, comes inside, gets fouled, lays it in. A bucket and harm, and it will be a chance for a three-point play for Elijah Harkless, who shows that he is ready to go. You're sitting in the press box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Congratulations to Zach. He won tickets to go see Kevin Hart. We're going to have tickets to give away later in the show to go see Post Malone as well. So stay tuned for that. Also, we want to give you a shot of $15,000 to pay for rent, mortgage for a year. ESPN Las Vegas and Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, are coming together to give you a chance at $15,000 to cover your rent or mortgage or whatever you want to do with it. All you need to do is go to lvsportsnetwork.com and enter for your chance to win 15000 bucks. That's ESPN Las Vegas and Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, must be 18 years or older to enter. Complete rules are also available at lvsportsnetwork.com. So, UNLV basketball started their season on Monday night. We talked a lot about it yesterday, but there was a couple things we didn't get to. First off, uh, Ed, you know, UNLV, they roll out the red carpet. It's It's a fun little... Fun little pregame entrance you and Obi has. Yeah. They played like a hype video before they did the whole rolling out of the red carpet, and TJ Otzelberger and Marvin <laughs> Coleman were still in it. Ouch. Someone pushed I'm the like, wrong button. I'm yeah, I'm like seventy five percent sure they just played a two year old hype video. Yeah. But it was very strange to see a minute-long video right before the team takes the floor and it's TJ Otzelberger <laughs> and Marvin, Marvin Coleman, Coleman hitting a game winner. Not good. No, not ideal. It's like two not weeks ideal. ago when we played uh, the uh, preview to the uh, UNLV San Diego State game and UNLV was on a bye. Oh, yeah, that was a good that commercial. Was a good, that was a good commercial. That <laughs> like, was. Wait a minute. They're yeah. not playing this week. Now, something that we did get to see uh, in the first game was Kevin Kruger's rotation. He ended up playing 11 guys. Uh, I think Carl Jones, he only played because there was some foul trouble up front. Uh, otherwise, Carl Jones is probably not going to be in the rotation. So I think we had a pretty clear 10-man rotation where Keyshawn Gilbert was your starting point guard and Jordan McKay was your backup point guard. Uh, Eli Parquet and EJ Harkless were the starters on the wings with Jackie Johnson and Justin Webster as their backups. And then Luis Rodriguez was sort of your true power forward and the freshman Keyshawn Hall was behind him. And then David Milwaukee at center and Vic Iwako behind him. So played 10 guys. They won a game against Southern University. Um, 
They don't play another good team this weekend either. It's not till the third game that they play Dayton. I am curious to see. He played 10. I am curious to see which of those 10 actually get cut out of the rotation when UNLV plays Dayton or when they simply play a close game or get to Mountain West play. Because playing 10, you're not really going to play 10 guys meaningful minutes in most games. So I am curious to see. He's got sort of 10 guys. He's got two at each position. But who actually starts getting cut when they need to make cuts to the rotation? Uh, can we start with Jordan McCabe? So this is the interesting part because UNLV actually had a lot of turnovers in this game against Southern. And there was a point in the second half where UNLV was struggling with the press from Southern. And Jordan McCabe, while he's not a flashy player, Jordan McCabe sort of a safe, steady type of player. And that's an area that if UNLV is going to struggle in, McCabe's going to have a role on this team. Yeah. Now, there was a play in that game where Jordan McCabe uh, dribbled up past half court and had the ball stolen from behind because he didn't realize there was a defender behind him. So even he wasn't perfect at that. But I am curious to see if that's a major flaw for this team. McCabe's probably in and the line or in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be a reality. Uh, I think after the first game, one area that I'm interested to see is Jackie Johnson, who... I think is going to be important because he's they're going to need somebody to score, and he is somebody that can create his own shot. But Jackie Johnson wasn't very good. He didn't shoot the ball very well, and he played at like 100 miles an hour on every single possession. So I think what we're going to have from Jackie Johnson is really high ceiling and really low floor. Like I think there's going to be games where we look at it and say, oh, Jackie Johnson shouldn't be on the floor. But there's also going to be games where it's like, oh, they have to have Jackie Johnson on the floor because he's how they're scoring points. And so I'm curious if you're a coach and you have a bench player that could come in and be your leading scorer in 20 minutes or could come in and be completely useless and tank your team in 20 minutes. I'm curious how you handle that and how, you know, do you do you play him for five minutes? I mean, and say, yeah, oh, I was going to say, do you let him you, you, you want to see what kind of night he's having? So you put him in there and just watch him. But I think most coaches don't do that. I think most coaches still, if they see a guy play poorly for five minutes, but they know, hey, he's he's better than that, they still end up giving him the rest of his minutes or, or however the game plays out, right? I, I don't think a lot of coaches actually do the whole, ah, let's see how he looks for five minutes and then see if we can go back to him or not. I think it'll be, he's going to play his minutes. So, But I am curious if there's any point where he gets cut out because he has more bad games than good games. And then in the front court. How did Vicky uh, Walker look? Uh, he looked fine, but he he's going to be – if David Milwaukee is healthy and if David Milwaukee is not in foul trouble, I don't know that Iwako needs to play a lot of minutes because he's going to have – you know he's more mobile as a defender and all that, but he's not going to be like a must-play guy if David Milwaukee is any good. Uh, but he looked fine. Keyshawn Hall, the freshman, is an interesting one because he's got some upside – but I don't think he's going to be in the rotation. I think right. they're going to ultimately cut him out. And A, they're going to play Luis Rodriguez a bunch of minutes. And B, they'll probably play a little bit smaller in, in a lot of matchups and go with four guards as opposed to a true power forward when Luis Rodriguez is One of the guys there. we haven't mentioned is Isaiah Cottrell. 30 Bishop Gorman seconds! Kid. 30 seconds remaining! Oh, I love that. That's great. That's phenomenal. Um, we, be, we love that. Uh, so he's, he's hurt. hurt. I know Kevin Kruger said weeks, not days for him. So... I do wonder if it's going to be too late in the season for him to carve out an important role, right? Maybe the team struggles. Maybe they have injuries and he comes back and helps a lot. But I am curious to see 
if he's able to have a role just because he's going to miss basically what two months of the season yeah. or something like that but and that's going to be really tough 